there's a couple of questions that the user has about these two passages. And the first one is, who incited David to take the census, God or Satan? The first Chronicles verse would say, Satan stood against Israel and incited David to take a number. And the second Samuel verse would say that God, the Lord, gave him that command. He says, this seems like a huge contradiction. So which, which was it? Why don't the numbers of the census match? They're wondering why they would contradict. Why does it say Israel and Judah in this passage when it was before the kingdom split into Israel and Judah in the time of Rehoboam and Jeroboam? Go ahead and, go ahead and read it. Go ahead and read through this. And what we're going to get here, there's several questions that deal with like uh, – I think it's like four potential like major concerns about contradiction between First Chronicles and Second Samuel. So maybe you could walk mm-hmm. us through that those scriptures. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'll read First Chronicles twenty one one through eight, and then Second Samuel twenty four one through ten. Chronicles passage goes. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, Go, number Israel from Beersheba to Dan, and bring me a report, that I may know their number. But Joab said, May the Lord add to his people a hundred times as many as they are. Are they not, my lord, the king? All of them, my lord's servants. Why then should my lord require this? Why should it be because of guilt for Israel? But the king's word prevailed against Joab. So Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came back to Jerusalem. When Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to David, in Israel all there were, uh, the formatting screwed up here, I think it's supposed to say 110,000 men. Yeah, in in all Israel there were uh, 1,100,000 men who drew the sword. That's what it was. And in Judah, 470,000 who drew the sword. Now, these numbers matter because they're going to be different numbers in the parallel yes. passage. Um, but he did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering, for the king's command was abhorrent to Joab. But God was displeased with this thing, and he struck Israel. And David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. So that's the Chronicles verse. Right. Uh, the Second Samuel verse says... Uh, chapter 24, 1 through 10. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. So the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, Go through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, and number the people, that I may know the number of the people. But Joab said to the king, May the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times as many as they are, while the eyes of my lord the king still see it. But why does the, my lord the king delight in this thing? But the king's word prevailed against Joab and the commanders of the army. So Joab and the commanders of the army went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. They crossed the Jordan and began from Erwar to the city of the people, uh, to the city that is in the middle of the valley towards Gad and on to Jazer. Then they came to Gilead and to Kadesh in the land of the Hittites. And they came to Dan, and from Dan they went around to Sidon and came to the fortress of Tyre and all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites, and they went out to the Negev of Judah at Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and 20 days, and Joab gave the sum of the numbering of the people to the king. In Israel, there were 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword, and the men of Judah were 500,000. But David's heart uh, struck him after he had numbered the people. And David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. There's 
couple of questions that the user has about these two passages. And the first one is, who incited David to take the census, God or Satan? Um, the first Chronicles verse um, would say, Satan stood against Israel and incited David to take a number. And the second uh, Samuel verse would say uh, that God, um, the Lord, gave him that command. So that's the user's question. Um, and yeah, he says this seems like a huge contradiction. So which which was it? So I, I think this one actually of all the questions on this passage, this to me is the easier of them. Uh, mm-hmm. This one, I don't think it's accidental. I think that we're getting one passage that says that God incited, and it's the same Hebrew word actually used, God incited David to, to against Israel, and the other passage it says that Satan incited him. So was it God or Satan? Well, I, I don't think it's an either or. Um, <clears throat> I think it was God and it was Satan. God incited in the sense that God planned to chasten David and Israel over their sin issues through this census, through, his, through this rebellion. And Satan incited it as the agent who inspired it, but his hope was to simply destroy. He doesn't know God's ultimate plan. Now, this might sound convenient, but often good answers do sound convenient. Like, oh, well, that works really well, doesn't it? Well, yeah, it does <laughs> because it works, I think. But let me let me back it up with more. Um, God's sovereignty in scripture is viewed as like this overarching sovereignty. It doesn't violate the free will of creatures necessarily like he could if he wants to but it doesn't necessarily violate free will of creatures but he's still sovereign and there's a difference between sovereign and, and control god is sovereign but he's not necessarily controlling every single thing uh, he's in control but doesn't mean he's controlling everything so amos 3 6 puts it this way it says if a trumpet is blown in a city will not the people tremble and if a calamity occurs in a city has not the lord done it has the lord done it but they obviously thought Moabites and Canaanites and, and hailstones and other things were causing calamity. But they also saw that God had a purpose and a plan in it still. And this is not, this is meant to be a comfort to God's people that even in hardship, he has an ultimate plan. Biblically teaching, uh, we have examples of this. So in Job, God intends to do a great work. Satan intends to ruin Job's faith. Right? God and Satan are both involved in the Job process. And if you had written about it in two accounts, you could say God brought destruction on Job. And you could then say Satan brought destruction on Job. But you'd realize they were performing different roles in this. It doesn't make Satan God's partner like he's like, hey, here, hey, buddy, let's come up with a plan. <laughs> Rather, God's going to even use his enemies to accomplish his ultimate goals and ends. Look at the cross. Satan enters Judas to inspire Judas to betray Jesus. Like this is Satan's agenda. He wants to kill Christ. But yet Jesus chose Judas and then tells him, like, what you do, do quickly. So we see both agents active at once, God and Satan, in different capacities and for different purposes. First Peter talks about this as well. We get this, like, all over the Bible. Um, it says that in First Peter 4.19 that there are those who suffer according to the will of God. We suffer according to the will of God, speaking of persecution and hardships. And 1 Peter 5.8 then tells us, watch out because your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Wait, is it is it Satan or is it God? Well, in different functions, it's either one. Paul has a thorn in his flesh. Let me read this to you guys. Thinking about these different layers, how God and Satan can both be active in different ways at the same time. This is what Paul says about the thorn in his flesh in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. He says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, so to keep him humble, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, 
to keep me from exalting myself. Now, Satan's goal is not to keep Paul humble. <laughs> he just wants to torment him. It's God's goal to keep Paul humble. And when Paul prays, I prayed three times, Lord, remove this. And God's like, nope, <clears throat> my grace is sufficient for you. Like, I'm, I'm bringing power out of your weakness. I have an agenda here. So the whole Bible is, is God triumphing over Satan, even as Satan does his thing. This happens all throughout scripture. Um, another example of this is Genesis 50 verse 20, where Joseph says to his brothers who sold him into slavery, he goes, you meant this for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Interestingly enough, side note, speaking of like Jesus in the Old Testament stuff, uh, David in the census in order to stop the plague that happens as a result of the census, David offers sacrifices on Mount Moriah where Abraham offered Isaac, which then becomes the place where the temple is built because it's the place where the plague stopped, which then becomes the thing that is a, an image of Christ who is his, his death is incited by Satan, but also it's a must happen in the will of God as well. So it's interesting how it all ties together with, um, with ultimately ultimate salvation. I think it's neat. Yeah. I love that. Um, so continuing on with these same passages, right. uh, the ne next question was, why don't the numbers of the census match? Um, and the user asks, couldn't the scribe who wrote First Chronicles, which he heard was authored later, either way, um, just check Second Samuel rather than indoctrinate such or introduce such an easily checked discrepancy. The Israelite Jewish scribal tradition holds accurate transmission of text in the highest regards, so surely they would check their work. Why would these two accounts use chunks of verbatim wording um, that extend beyond just the scriptures that we wrote or we read there, um, and use similar wording everywhere in between, and then get the numbers wrong? So it suggests that maybe they were based on each other, or they were both based on a common source. Uh, but they're wondering why they would contradict then, or apparently right. contradict. Right, right. Why did, okay, so to, to lay this out for people, uh, in Second Samuel, we have 800,000. In First Chronicles, we have 1.1 million. Okay, so that, that'll be the first discrepancy. The other discrepancy is 470,000 versus 500,000. So the first discrepancy is 300,000 difference, 800,000 versus 1.1 million. Um, but there is an important difference that we get in the passage. There's the uh, first Chronicles, which has a bigger number, 1.1 million. It describes them as men who drew the sword, men who draw the sword. Okay, so uh, if you're under 20, you don't go out to battle. And if you just got married and you're in the first year of your marriage, you don't go out to battle. So men who, who drew the sword is probably a reference to people who are generally over 20 years old. But in 2 Samuel, it looks like it might be numbering a different group of people. It says valiant men who drew the sword. Now, that might not seem like a big deal, valiant men who drew the sword. But but 2 Samuel, this, this phrase valiant men, it's not a reference to age. Whereas men who drew the sword probably is a reference generally to age over 20 or older. But... Valiant men is used in 2 Samuel in every case to identify not how old somebody is. It's used three times in 2 Samuel. It's always in the context of someone who has is especially capable in battle. So they're not just fighters. They're like, like David's mighty men. Think of it used in kind of that sort of context. So they're especially, in other words, they're probably, this is, you know, one possible explanation. Is it guaranteed? No, I'm just trying to draw from the text to see if there's a difference here. Um, it may be that these men are like, they've already been through battle successfully. So they're considered valiant men. They've gone into war. They succeeded. They came back alive. They're valiant men. It might be that the other 300,000 were untested. These men are, who can 
officially be part of the army, but they haven't gone through the battles yet. That might explain the difference there. Um, there's an alternate view to this, and this is what we do with, with supposed contradiction. You go, what are the possible options here? An alternate view is that in First Chronicles 27, we have a list of a total of 288,000 people, and they're um, like a standing army. And one theory, I, I'm not inclined to this one, but one theory is that the First Chronicles 27 quantity of 288,000, these weren't counted in the census. They were simply added later when you're adding up how many people were really there. Because Joab never finished the census. The census was never completed. So they might be adding other numbers they're aware of they got through other means because they have a standing army of a certain number of people. That would also potentially explain it. Um, let's talk, though, about the men of Judah. That's the men of Israel, men of Judah, which is the southern area. Second Samuel says there were 500,000. First Chronicles says there was 470,000 possible solutions. Well, the first possible solution probably comes to everyone's mind. Oh, well, maybe Second Samuel's just rounding it to the closest 100,000 right? 800,000, 500,000. That, <clears> that's entirely possible. Um, it, it, they weren't nearly as concerned with the exactitude in numbers as we often are nowadays with our counting. So that's a possible solution. There's another possible solution. Second Samuel um, and First Chronicles, one of the differences between them is that in one passage, it expressly says Joab didn't count Benjamin or the Levites. The other passage doesn't mention this. It might be that the higher number in 2 Samuel is including numbers from Benjamin that were known but weren't counted by Joab. So we have different people going, maybe they're different goals, you know, in their writing, why they're recording it the way they are. So these, uh, these might seem like cute explanations to people. The point is they're actually drawn from the text. These are actually available options for us. Okay, the 800,000 may be valiant men or experienced warriors. The 500,000, the extra 30,000 could simply be the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, interestingly enough, the tribe of Benjamin having 30,000 is consistent with other places of, this, of the text as well. They weren't counted by Joab. And that's highlighted in First Chronicles, but not Second Samuel. They may have included those numbers anyways, because they were more interested in getting the, the fuller account. So, yeah, that, that would, uh, I, think, I think that that would explain this, this one. It's interesting to me how many of these things seem to resolve when you look at the actual wording of the text very carefully. Yeah. And we get a lot of these types of questions on the, uh, on the subreddit. People yeah. are very interested in the making sure the most intricate detail of scripture is down to the very last minutia. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they're at it as a, I think, um, modern day, um, journalistic accounts you know we're trying to we're trying to hold the bible to that to the standard of what we're used to today where it's it's, it's got to be the journalistic standard and it's got to be exact and you know no fake news it's got to be 100 percent accurate all the time i'm right. um, not saying the bible isn't accurate but um you know we're we don't account for the the fact that uh you know whatever the reason is here you know why is there a difference there's there's explanations for it it, it doesn't have to um sh uh account out exactly and yeah, and, uh, and I like to point out to people too, like if if you're a non-believer asking these questions about numbers in First Chronicles, this isn't really very important for you. <laughs> like I'm just saying, because let me say it this way: like Christianity does not stand or fall on the number comparisons between Second Samuel and First Chronicles. It's not as though the resurrection of Jesus depends on accurate number counts. It, now, I think they're accurate. Don't get me wrong. What I'm saying mm -hmm. is. As a Christian, I care very much about the exact accuracy of scripture, at least 
I should clarify that to the point that it was intending to be accurate. Obviously, you only want as much accuracy as they were intending to give you. But but if a non-believer is trying to think, maybe I'll be Christian, maybe I'll trust the Bible. But first explain to me these two different census numbers. I'm thinking <laughs> you might have other motives for wanting to move away from Scripture. How about you start with Jesus and his resurrection? Because I never never saw the Apostle Paul run out into Athens and say, the census numbers were all accurate, guys. Like, he's never, <laughs> no, he's like, Jesus died and rose again for your sins. This is the central message of the, of the gospel of Christ. Let's start here, man. And then... Even there are even Christians who love Jesus and, and do believe the Bible is God's word who don't hold to inerrancy. Now, mm-hmm. I think they're wrong, but I also think that's an issue that's an in-house discussion amongst Christians. I, I wouldn't want to have to prove that to non-believers. Uh, inerrancy is a very difficult um, conversation to have when when you have sixty-six books to discuss. You're gonna, you're never going to end the discussion. Every every issue leads to another one, and then. You're like, wait a minute, can we can we get the salvation thing figured out first and then we'll continue this talk? And I, I do just want to point out that the user here um, I think represents a lot of us that he doesn't he says he doesn't believe the Bible fundamentally contradicts. And every other apparent contradiction he's come across has been resolved with better understanding of the situation. Right. And I mean, I think all of us can say that, yeah. Uh, every time I've come across something that I'm like, oh, that doesn't seem to jive with, you know, what was said over here, mm-hmm. the more I understood the word and I understood, uh, and you have to do some actual research sometimes, um, but the more I got into it, the more the Bible fundamentally did not contradict itself. It was, you know, I, I believe biblical inerrancy and I have yet to be proven wrong in, in my personal life, so. Yeah. I, I just want to say this user, um, I think, represents a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah, I think he represents the sincere believer who's just like, hey, help, I'm, I'm, I'm confused by this. And to me, that's like the exact right time to have the discussion. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, hey, before we go too much further there, Matt, can we give this user some credit and share his name? Yes, this is uh, – sorry, in case I didn't say it. This is user Berkman. Yeah. So – we're about halfway through user Berkman's <laughs> questions got, of the census. He's got a lot of questions. <laughs> All right. Dave, you want to get the second half? Um, yeah, so this is um, James 1, 13 through 15. Um, how do we reconcile with what James wrote here? Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. In the account of King David taking a census to reconcile with, with what James says, we would, like, we would have to accept the First Chronicles account where it was Satan who incited David to do the thing uh, that was evil in God's sight because, according to James, God tempts no one. If Second Samuel is the correct account, then James is in error because here God incited David to do what was evil, then killed 70,000 people in the land as punishment which doesn't seem just. Was James not familiar with his account from 2 Samuel? Could you explain this? I don't believe the Bible fundamentally contradicts. I think it's what Matt just said. And almost every other apparent contradiction I've come across has been eventually resolved with better understanding, but this one still baffles Berkerman. Yeah. Um, So I think uh, part of us is, part of this is to realize what James is really talking about is something a little different than what's happening with David. So, James is like, hey, uh, don't blame your sinful desires on God. 
that's what James is really getting into here. And he's like, when, when, when you're tempted, don't be like, oh, God did this. No, no, no. And he describes you. You're tempted and when you're drawn away and enticed by your own desires. So God may put you through testing. This is consistent in scripture. God puts us into situations that are testing us and allows those things to happen or causes them even sometimes. Um, but you don't sin because you're in a situation that's hard. You sin because you wanted to sin. And that's what James is getting at. David did was tempted to do the census, to actually do it. The internal desire to do it would have been rooted in his own pride. His pride was his sin issue. God didn't cause that. Uh, I once knew somebody who had said that um, she, this is a really, it's a true story, really dark, dark moment in their life. And they, they were like, you know, I, um, we had this, this house guest, this male house guest, and she, not me, she had the male house guest. <laughs> and uh, he was staying there for a while and she was going through a hard day and a hard time. And she went up and she propositioned him like for intimate sexual relationship. And, and this was, she was in the middle of going through like a divorce. It was a real, whole situation was just a big disaster. And before there had been nothing between the two of them, no, nothing even hinted at. Now, later she told a story to me and she says, I guess God wanted me to know what it felt like to be people who struggle with that sort of thing. And I thought, oh no, you're really delusional. Like, <laughs> like, no, you did that because you wanted to, like you wanted that, that, that came from you. God didn't put that desire in your heart. And that's the same thing with David. Like uh, nothing in the passage suggests that God put a desire in David's heart to rebel against God here. God seems to have allowed Satan to come like maybe unblocked Satan from prov providing temptation. David says yes to it because he's drawn away by his own pride and enticed and he wants to do it. I think all that's pretty consistent with James. So God puts us in scenarios that that uh, challenge us, but the desire to sin comes from something with comes from somewhere within us. It doesn't come from the scenario. If that hope that makes sense. Yeah. Why does it say Israel and Judah in this passage when it was before the kingdom split into Israel and Judah in the time of Rehoboam and Jeroboam? Wouldn't David's census have not made the distinction between the territory of the later kingdoms of Israel and Judah? Yeah, so this is great. Uh, they're like, wait, why? Why is the whole census Israel and Judah? when it was years later when they split, when the kingdom split. Um, and the the answer is about the reason why the kingdom split into the northern southern kingdom, into Israel and Judah, is because those distinctions always existed. And so we even see this with, with David's reign, that they weren't two different nations exactly, but they were sort of two different sort of like centers of allegiance in the nation of Israel amongst the tribes. Israel, which is a nickname, they're all descendants of Jacob, right, of Israel, but Israel nicknamed for the north, Judah nicknamed for the south, but Judah would include parts of Ephraim and Benjamin and stuff like that. Um, we see this in David's time when he actually becomes king. He's king in Judah for like, I think it was seven years before he becomes king for all of Israel. You see that even when David becomes king initially, there's already a, a some allegiance going on where the tribes are sort of clustering together around different uh, groups. So yeah, the, the, uh, the thing we're getting here is this explains why in the days of Rehoboam and Jeroboam, they split the way they did was because these allegiances were already in existence. Awesome. So can I just ask, I mean, to expound upon the, the underlying principle here, are, are there passages in the Bible that you find just very difficult to explain? Even, you know, I don't know if this was a, on your top 10 list or not, but are, are there other passages that are like, wow, that's, that's a, 
that's a difficult one to, to, to explain. I guess when we're talking about biblical inerrancy and, and no yeah. contradictions in the Bible. Um, so which, I, what, top yeah, ahead, what happens with me, what happens with me is I tend to like come across one and I think the same thing. I go, man, this is really tough. Like, I don't know how I'm going to resolve that. Like, I want to have integrity here. I want to be honest. If I can't resolve it, I can't resolve it. I don't have to have the solution. I just want a solution. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so what, what I end up doing is then I'll spend a lot of time on that one issue and then I resolve it and then it like goes off my list. And so what tends to happen is not that I have a list of ones I can't resolve. It's rather that someone brings up one and I go, oh, I haven't really spent time on that yet. Mm-hmm. What a conundrum. Hmm, let me go dig in. And like this one in particular, I hadn't really spent time on it. So I was like, okay, I'll have to study on this. I have to look into this. Yeah. And I thought maybe when the interview comes, I won't know the answer. I'm going to have to admit that if that's the case. I, uh, but I found an answer that I think is, is pretty reasonable and yeah, that's what tends to happen. It's it's when you know this much about the issue and you don't really dig deep that you tend to overestimate its challenge that it presents. Uh, not that you can always solve every problem, but I don't have like a big glaring error that stands out to me as like, man, I wish I could fix that. <laughs> There's nothing like that uh, currently. Yeah, I think you're right, though. I mean, it does. I know personally, yeah, cross them off my list. And there's things I've struggled with in the past that are just, they were big, they were major. They, they seemed like a big deal that, you know, the, the numbers don't match. That's, you know, if, if I'm an accountant, you know, and that's a big deal for me, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> they should match. Uh, but after a while, yeah, they get off of our list and, and we move on to other things. It's, it really good. It drives us to studying and, and trying to understand it more. And it's, it's, it's a good journey to go through, I think. Yeah, me too.